Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning, and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from just £1. And by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Living History UK podcast. I'm your host, Pete Neal. And I am joined by my ever illustrious colleague, Steve Davis, and another guest who will be revealed very, very shortly. Stephen, how are you? Peter, very well, thank you. And how doth it go for you, sir, on this fine morrow? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Still uh, still can't believe, like, a few weeks ago, we were number 19 in Korea. Well, South Korea, that is. So we're going worldwide. We're going worldwide. <laughs> Your plan for global domination nears completion. And I believe you've been learning a new language, haven't you, in anticipation for this episode? Take it away, Pete. Oh, don't put me on the spot. Uh, yeah, That's ridiculous behaviour. I, I, I was trying to learn how to say thank you in Korean, but um, it keeps on going drastically wrong and sounds nothing like the person on Google Translate. <laughs> But thank you very much to the people of South Korea for listening to us and getting us to number 19 in the charts. But yeah, as I mentioned, Steve, this is a special episode, is it not? Indeed, it is most special. Because on this episode of the Living History UK podcast, we are introducing our newest presenter to the Living History UK presenting team. Drum roll, Stephen. Have trumpets instead. 
Danny Rees. Danny, good evening, mate. How are you? Hello, Pete. Hello, Stephen. I'm very good. How's you about yourselves? Yeah, brilliant, mate. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And to our Korean listeners, come saw me da. See, <laughs> Danny's saying it better than how I could say it. <laughs> Thank you for coming aboard, mate. Thank you for coming aboard. I think we're going to have a splendiferous time because... Uh, and those of you that are avid listeners to the podcast, you would have heard Danny's uh, tones uh, a few times because uh, back in the early days of our podcast, uh, I interviewed him about his life in living history. And he's also done episodes with another good friend of ours, uh, John Shanahan, on uh, a couple of subjects as well. So with that, uh, Danny's also been on a couple of our documentaries. He's either been as a performing artist. That sounds better than an extra, doesn't it? For some of our documentaries. But he also made a minor debut on our bat on the uh what was it? The Battle of um Ah, oh, what's it called? Down by Aeroflot. Cross. That's the one. <laughs> That's the one. Mortimer's <laughs> Cross. So he sort of made he had his first speaking role on uh the Battle of Mortimer's Cross. So, Danny, how does it feel to be part of the presenting team for Living History UK? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm over the moon. I don't know if it's being committed to a sentence or not, but I'm over the moon to be part of the team and hopefully push us forward into a bright and prosperous future. Well, I, I hope it does as well. I'm, I'm sure Steve does as well. He's being very quiet, sat in the shadows. <laughs> he's, he's just letting me do all the talking. <laughs> oh, I, I don't want to hog the limelight. You know, it's uh, it's Danny's first episode as a presenter, so you know, I think it'd be really nice to to get to know what sort of fires. Well, for the listeners to know what fires you up, Danny, as a as a living historian, and what sort of drew you into the world of living history UK. I'd say. Well, I was really kicking and screaming into the hobby, as it were. It was due to a, a mutual friend of all of ours, and, and from several of our listeners will know, a Mr. Carson, a Richard Carson. Uh, he dragged me into the hobby years ago, uh, into the railway scene. I know I know, people going short, short uh, draws of breath there, going into the steam railway uh, scene. But the 1940s weekend of the Seven Valley Railway, doing the wartime events going up and down the steam railway. But naturally, I think we all come to a point where we grow out of going up and down the steam railway and looking at the same people in their fancy dress uniforms. And we fancy taking it a bit more seriously, looking more in depth into the roles that we're portraying that particular weekend. And that's where I think, as you were, we, as, as living historians, we grow up out of the reenacting world and we start looking at the finite details of the impression and the kit, the equipment, but also the personal side of every person's story. The riding on a steam train never gets boring, though. <laughs> no, no. But, uh, yeah, especially when you go to the big events when they're absolutely rammed full and you've got nowhere to sit down all day and you're going up and down and you're stuck on the one train. If you miss your train and you're stuck on the wrong platform for overnight and like, oh. Yeah. I think, I think it's when you start going to the big events, for example, your victory shows, your war and peace, mm. you see that the event, it, the, the whole scene is a lot bigger uh, and and it could be a lot more enjoyable depending what floats your boat. No, yeah, exactly. You know, I I I I, I'm, I sort of, like saw the same thing with you with like how like railway things go. 
Um, but I say, yeah, it, it never gets old going on a steam train. It just winds me up when we go to the 40s events on the railways when you're like, oh, I can't wait to get on the steam train, have a little ride on the steam train, because it is a novelty. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm easily pleased. But then they rock up with a diesel from the 1960s, and it's like, I'm pretty sure it's meant to be a 40s event. Uh, but what about that steam train you got sat on the sidings over there doing nothing? <laughs> Yeah, I think as they say also as well in the last few years, I think, especially with the change of the cost of coal, I know a lot of the steam railways are struggling to actually keep the steamers going and probably the cost of diesel now as well. Mm. Um, so a lot of the you know the specialist railway events I know have, have sadly gone. Um, things like uh, the Gloucester and Warwickshire Railway, that doesn't hold its 40s event anymore, I don't think. That always used to be a very popular one. There's also, of course, the... A situation which is highly political, which we won't go into, about uh, the Heritage Railway Association discouraging all these vin- you know, vintage heritage railways from holding sort of wartime themed events, which, uh, needless to say, went down like a lead balloon um, with, with, with not just myself, but many other people. Of course, for anyone who's not in the know, uh, Heritage Railway Association uh, discouraged venues from from sort of uh, putting World War II events on amongst others due to the invasion of Ukraine uh, last year, um, saying that, you know, it's not nice to depict uh, you know, sort of wartime and so forth and people are at war. But I know that's a huge can of worms and I'm, wanting, I'm wanting to sit on the fence, but but I can't. I'm I'm fighting myself. I know, Danny, you've definitely got a, as well as Pete for that matter, I've definitely got a few things to say about that. Yeah, I think yeah. I think if we go into, I think we'll just get massively sidetracked. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse the pun. <laughs> I was just about to say that's a very good pun, Pete. Don't want this uh, podcast to uh, go off the rails. <laughs> well, should we shunt uh, on to the next subject? I think we should. I think we should. <laughs> well, I think a nice little sort of uh, segue, should we say, um, from talking about, you know, these sort of railway events. And there are other events that fall under that umbrella where, you know, you could go anywhere in the country and it's exactly the same style of event. And it's just a little bit dull. You know, okay, you're in a different geographical location, but it's the same principle. You're riding up and down on a on a steam train or you're in a field reenacting the same battle if you're you know, doing Napoleonic or something. But that's kind of really what led us into creating our kind of living history uk festival really so for anyone who's heard unless you've been living under a rock for the past 12 months the living history uk festival is our event it's an event we've put together as living history uk and co that's our friends and sort of hangers on uh freeloaders and all and uh, we did our first festival last year in april at chilton open air museum that was our one to test the water and our next one is well only a matter of weeks away now. Yes, definitely the the ball is rolling. I know there's lots of guys who are prepping their kit, getting it ready. Uh, lots of panicking. What can we do? Logistics, getting everything sorted. Uh, basically, it's one of the first. Ma- it is the first major show of the year. So it's trying to get everything prepped and out of winter storage, making sure those who are bringing vehicles they're roadworthy and all ready to go and all the good stuff, and trying to yeah say start the season off with a big bang, as it were, but not physically. Yeah, on top of that, I think there's people kicking themselves that they never went to Arm or Malvern in the last few weeks, realising oh, they need something new or they've lost something as well. <laughs> or it's magically shrunk in the in the cupboard over winter. I don't know how this happens, but it just magically shrinks. I have this problem as well. My stuff shrinks. When the, when, you know, it's sat there on the hanger. I don't know how it happens. I think it's the diet of a medieval king that does it. 
Yes, many of many a time we've seen you um, <laughs> consuming the diet of a medieval king, pulling chicken off a bone and quaffing flagons of ale by the uh, by the uh, firkin load. Let's say, but yes, it's um, it's coming around really quick. This event is. I mean, I've just had a look. It's just over three weeks away, which makes me a little bit uh, nervous uh, because this year's event is wow, completely poles apart to last last year's event in terms of size. We've got more groups. We've got traders being included for the first time. We've expanded on our lectures. We've got loads of um, influencers, I think that's the right term, coming from the TikTok fraternity. And uh, the timeline is much bigger. So whereas last year we went from the 1770s through to sort of 2012, we've taken that timeline back to 1645, incorporating the Seven Years' War, the um, sort of Battle of Blenheim era, and also all the way back, of course, to the uh, to the Wars of the Three Kingdoms, as they should be referred to, or uh, possibly even the British Revolution, considering we uh, chopped the head off a king and uh, installed a new way of uh, government. But uh, there we go. Either way, it's um, definitely going to be a weekend not to miss. But Danny, what are you looking forward to seeing and doing the most? I think as as with every 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 hobby, but especially this one, it's a very social one. And, and obviously, over the winter months, we're all swirled back and on to our own homes. It's just getting back out and seeing our friends again, and having sharing a pint and some of Chuckles's uh, delights, uh, and by the uh, by the campfire, so to speak. And it's just it, the whole social aspect of the hobby. I think is really important, especially after these two and a bit years of COVID and the bounce back from COVID. It's really important that we get out there, start socialising, visiting these heritage sites and events and really put all of our support behind it. Because, you know, we've seen events stop. We've seen sites closed. We've seen museums being closed and collections dispersed thanks to the the the, the, the backlash of the pandemic. So it's, I think it's really important for all of us to get out there and socialise. It certainly is because the... Because being on the reenacting or living history scene, it is very much a social event because what the public see is us doing our job during the day, so to speak. But then in the evening, it's more for us on the social side of things because that's when you start like moving around all the different groups and things like that. And especially if there's a beer tent there, which there is this year as well. So everybody have got a focal point to hone in on. So you're going to see like a, a, a World War Two soldier talking to someone from the English Civil War and like mad stuff like that. It's not as like extreme as other multi-period events where like you'll get someone like dressed as like I don't know like Mac V Sog talking to a Roman or something. <laughs> you know? So it's uh yeah so I I'm looking forward to it. Um yeah you know, like you say you've said it's gonna be bigger, better. Like we've even had to turn groups away as well. So like when we're in the process of getting the groups together, there was loads of groups um, coming forward themselves saying, not we really want to do your event, but obviously because we're such a small site, we can't have loads of the same thing. And it was like, I'm sorry, uh, we've already got one of those. Um, And then even when the deadline had finished as well. So once we'd done our cutoff point uh, for groups to sign up, there's been loads of groups coming in afterwards um, that have gone, oh, can we come to your event? I was, oh, sorry, the deadline's done, so we're, we're all full up now. Um, but uh, you know, like any anything that's being organised, a couple of groups do pull out, which a couple have. But then, you know, the good thing from those people that have gone, oh, can we come and do your event? It's actually given us a reserve list as well. So we could, so we're very easily, as long, you know, luckily, 
with groups that are doing the same periods. I've gone, actually, this group here are quite good. Get them in to replace them. So, uh, yeah, it's all coming together. It's just like silly things now. That's all. That's the only, like, headaches I'm finding. It's just little things. Little things and chasing people up. That's the uh, that's the only that's the only headache at the moment. But as they say, it's going to be all right on the night. <laughs> and the show must go on, as uh, Freddie Mercury once said, of course, uh, very famously. But yeah, I mean, and the site because we were at Chilton Open Air Museum last year, which is a, is a cracking venue in its own right. We've we've moved it to Moira Furnace, which is does sound like an angry Welsh woman that you probably meet somewhere, let's say, you know, like Butlins, for instance. That's just a slight example. But yeah, Moira Furnace is uh, located in uh, Leicestershire. And it's a um, it's the site of, a, of an early 19th century blast furnace. Um, it was only functional for around 10 years, but it's been acquired by the council. There's woodland there. Um, we've got a public campsite as well, which is sold out already. Um, all these groups are going to be in and around the the furnace in the open area. We've got some groups in the woodland, traders there as well. And I have to, I really have to say that Project Donut are uh, there on the Sunday, which is my favourite donut store, and I haven't been there for a while. And if you like donuts, so let's just, for example, say if you like um, uh, Krispy Kreme, I'm only going to mention it once because if you mention a company more than once, then uh, it's clusters uh, advertising. So that company I just mentioned, um, they do good donuts. But if you want donuts that are God level, if you want to go to, uh, of course, Project Donut, which are absolutely awesome. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. But we've got loads of traders food wise. We've got uh, military dealers as well. Uh, Quartermaster stores, one of our sponsors are going, Nidhogg and Mead. We've also got our platinum sponsor, which is Epic Military. And without those people, sponsoring what we do at the festival we wouldn't be able to put the festival on and nor would we be able to keep the prices for you guys to come and visit incredibly reasonable so for instance an adult for the day is six pound you get to come in see everything see all the groups all the arena displays uh listen to the lectures if that's your bag go around all the trade area and so forth and get to visit the site too so it's definitely uh definitely worth it but yeah three weeks to go it's getting it's getting getting real now isn't it boys yeah, it is. And the cost as well, um, just putting this one out there, my little sales pitch, um, is um, an, an event like this will cost you £15 minimum. So you're looking at a ballpark figure of 15 to £20 per adult, that'll be. Um, so, yeah, you're getting in per adult, it's £6. So it's a quarter of the price than it would be normally for an event like this as well. Well, yeah, see, I have to echo the comments of Pete and Steve. You know, events nowadays, even just for you know a day out, uh, just to visit a property or something like that. If you're with the uh, the, the 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 trust that looks after buildings, shall we say, you know, you're looking you're looking at fifteen twenty pounds per adult. Plus, if you want a sandwich on top, you're looking, especially with the cost of living crisis, where you're going to get a family day out, basically less than twenty quid. The Living History UK Festival. That's where you'll get a day out for less than 20 quid. Come on, Pete, let's get to the wagon. Let's go. Let's get to the festival. <laughs> and yes, we will have the Living History UK stall there as well. We might just have, and I stress, might just have some of our new T-shirts with Pete Neil's face on. Let's get to the kitchen. But joking apart, we do have 
Uh, our Living History UK merchandise, our mugs and T-shirts available for sale there as well. Yeah, come, I think the bottom line is really come along, enjoy yourselves, see some groups, see some brilliant uniforms, smell the smell of gunpowder being fired and the noise of it. Listen to the drill commands, understand what the, the guys and, you know, sort of ate the kit they wore, uh, weapons they used. But above all else, just come and enjoy yourself. Have a have an educational day out for a reasonable price. And if you want to come over to us, have a chat to myself, Danny, Pete. I know Dom will be there as well. And some of the other inner sanctum of uh, Living History UK. Come over, have a chat with us. You know, ask people questions about kit. It's uh, it's an amazing site. So come and support our project uh, and come and support Moira Furnace as well. And uh, just just enjoy yourself because that's that's why we put it on. And this will be the opening doors for the 2023 season. What better way to start off the season than with our own event? And the, the, those those of you who are listening out there who follow us on our escapade, shall we say, looking forward to the whole year because there's a rammed, packed year coming up, and it's going to be an exciting one, like I say the least. Yeah, it is indeed. I can't wait for it. It's going to be it's going to be glorious. Hopefully, the weather holds off. Fingers crossed. You've so, jinxed it now. You yeah. have jinxed we want, it. We want an in, we want what's it they call it Indian summer. They call it. that's what we had at the festival last year. So that's what we need this year. Isn't an Indian summer when it goes off? It stays warm in September and October. I don't know. That's why I said. Is it? Is it? Is it what they call? Is it what they call? That's why I said it. That's why I said. It. That's why I was like, is that what they call it? Obviously, we don't want April showers. We don't want it knocked on. We want it no. warm all year summer long. Nice and those of you out there who are also fellow reenactors and campers, you'll know. The, the the joys of damp canvas and wet cam nets. Disgusting. And 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 wet battle dress. You just like smell like a wet sheep. <laughs> and we all have our own ways of drying canvas at home, draped over washing lines and garages and oh let's take it to work and dry it there. <laughs> yeah. So once we've got the headache of the Ministry UK Festival done and out the way, which is on the 22nd, 23rd of April, 2023, what are our hopes afterwards? So what what do we want out of 2023 after the festival? I think for 2023, I think yeah, the way the calendar is filled up quite nicely already, and I've already used all of my holiday for this year, and it's not even the fourth month of the year, um, I think it's the amount of events we got packed in as not just our own events as Living History UK, but also the events of the the usual season, as it were. You know, always you know, the, returning to Victory Show after I think it was nearly ten years of absence, um, well, about eight years of absence. It has really fired me back up again, and plans for this year obviously got underway. And I'm not letting too many cats out of the bag just yet, but the display this year is looking to be twice if not three times bigger than last year um with a, a, a group of like-minded friends and individuals who we're all going to come together and pull off something absolutely fantastic and there's also other little things as well you know we we, we can't let too many out because there's too many secrets for our listeners but there is there is workings with our favorite supplier of beef burgers um who uh, we are currently chatting to about some future plans for this year. So keep your eyes out there for those of you who enjoy the sweet, sweet delights of the beefy boys in Hereford. Um, but also the usual events, plus some new ones on the horizon. Also looking at new projects and plans. You know, I always like having a new project on the, on the burner. So I am actively looking for a new project. Uh, I may have done some wheeling and dealing at Malvern. So hopefully um, I'll have a new, uh, a new four wheeled project. 
Well, that sounds really interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing what that's all about, Danny, because uh, I you haven't said anything to me, so I'll have to try oh, and. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've kept my cards quite close to my chest about um, some little things and bobs. I always like having a project. Go. I guess I think it was most vehicles. Those of you who don't know me personally, I'm not just a reenactor. I'm also a vehicle owner and restorer, um, and I've owned about eight or nine military vehicles over the years. Um, and I've just, as of last year, last year bought a, my second World War Two Jeep. Um, the first one I sold a couple of years ago, I think it's about 2014, I sold my first Jeep. Um, and since then, I've, I've had Land Rovers, and the war in Ukraine has meant that they have been returned to service, shall we say. Um, and there's uh, new projects on the pipeline. I'm not giving too much away because I don't mm. want things to fall through and bad luck and all that. Um, but uh, an item was spotted at Stoneley, which I'd also seen at. Uh, so sorry, something I saw at Malvern, which always be seen at Stoneley, which would be a nice addition to our SAS in France display. Mm. Oh, very interesting. I was, I was hoping you was going to say, Danny, you, you, you're, uh, you're going to get your English Civil War kit together. <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit too early for me. Uh, I, I, the Victorian era is about where. I, basically, I can, I'll do things I can collect medals to because most of you don't know me. I'm also a medal collector, so hence collecting medals to the Victorian era. I can justify doing Victorian living history because the kit will go with the medal display and the medals with the kit, so to speak. Mm. But I think the English Civil War didn't it did an issue out medals for the English Civil War other than a good show and a, a, a doff of one's cap. So it's not really of a medal. Yeah, I think, I think they're like, um, like commemorative type medals, weren't it, that they struck? They weren't like official medals, if you know what I no. mean. Obviously, you had like your orders and everything like that that was given to the hierarchy, but as in actual medals. I think it was like unofficial things that were struck. Steve would yeah, know more about pewter that coins. Sort of thing. There are pewter coins that are issued after. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, those of you who know medals, obviously for the first ever campaign medal ever awarded to all ranks, regardless of position or, or unit, was the Waterloo medal. And mm. so from then onwards really sparks my interest. Because it's all yeah. about research in my books. Mm. I love researching. I like tonight. I'm, I've been researching a chap who was awarded a Royal Humane Society Life Saving Medal. Um, I was researching him before coming on to record this. But to, for me personally, I love research. I love finding the man, name, his awards, his medals, what he did, what he got up to, where he went on campaign, if he was wounded, how he was wounded, what action he was wounded, what company. It's, 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 I don't know if it's, if it's an OCD or an ism, but I've definitely got it, whatever it is. Oh, it's always, it, you know, doing what you do, your uh, medals, mate, is like, yeah, because it kind of it brings the medals to life, doesn't it? They're no longer, a you know, a piece of metal with a, with a bit of ribbon on, if you know what I mean. It makes them more meaningful if you know the story of the person they belong to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially with yeah, one of my earliest campaigns I collect is um, medals to the Zulu Wars, 1879. That's my earliest I'll, I'll reenact because I've been researching quite in depth about the Army Service Corps. Now, everyone knows the Army Service Corps has been this massive thing during the First and Second World War. But when you look at the Zulu Wars, for example, Isan Luana, there was, what, 1,300 men of the uh, 24th of foot and other uh, locally raised units. But when you actually look at the roll call, there was only actually about four men of the Army Service Corps who were killed in that action. So mm. it's actually a very small unit at that time. So that's what well, sparked my yeah. interest in it. Because um, the most senior officer actually at Walks Drift was Army Service Corps. He was Royal Engineers. Um, that no, 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 no. This is where everyone gets it wrong. 
no, the most senior officer there was a major, and he was uh, the commissary. He was the most he was senior. senior in yeah. Yeah, he so, was. A, he was a, yeah, yeah, he was, he was a commissary. Rank. Yeah, yeah, he was the commissary. He was a major, but because he wasn't field rank, he couldn't command the garrison. But he was the most senior officer at Rourke's Drift, and he also yeah, the commissary gets overlooked. The commissariat department um, is basically like the civilian, um, the civilian assistants to the Army Service Corps at the time. But he, interestingly, he'd actually served his full twenty-two years um, in the infantry and been at the Indian Mutiny. He'd been where has he been? The Indian Mutiny. He'd been a couple of other places, but he'd done a full twenty-two years. Left, then was taken on in, into the commissariat department. Um, so that's quite. An, he's an interesting chap. Mm. Um, I've researched, looked at his history before because um, he's a civilian, but he's a ranked civilian, which is weird. But that's the Victorians for you. Yeah, yeah. But he was becoming more militarized by then, hadn't it? The Army Service Corps by the eight, like eighteen seventies, the army had pretty much got a more a tightened belt on it to stop the civilian contractors trying to rinse them of money. It's all it's all about the amalgam. We think of amalgamation as a current day thing between regiments but actually in those days you did you did have the ordnance department you had the transport corps you had the locally employed you had the locally raised commissariats um and bringing it all together under one cat badge so to speak actually improved logistics mm. so it's quite interesting that's why i think you know with me my interest i know you chaps like going back to the english civil war but my my key interest and hopefully our listeners you know, would, would would like listening to the, the my dulcet tones talking about but from the 18 1875 to about 2019 that's where my interests are obviously covering which is the strange era in our hobby i cover the global war on terrorism yeah um the global war on terrorism it's one of those i don't know why some people get on a high horse about it when they start going oh you can't can't portray that it's too it's too recent you know it's too touchy but if you you could say that about any era at any time and i think there's no time personally like the present to remember what has largely become something that's been forgotten that's so recent where if it just seems to be like swept under the carpet oh well that's over and done with uh you know 45 minute weapon warning from tony blair and so forth um that's that bit of history consigned to the dustbin for quite a lot of people but you know it had a massive effect on Many of my friends, you know, yourself, Danny, you of course were were over there, and you know many guys and girls who you know served in the armed forces either have or known someone who's been affected by it. So I think there is no time like the present, and it's I think it's personally fantastic that people like you, um, you know, remember uh, that period, and you don't glorify it either. You know, you kind of just set the stall out like you did at the festival last year, and put a display of um, you know personal effects, uh, weapons, and kit out from both sides as well. And and tell that story, and I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. I know you always get the one or two naysayers, like we've said, but uh, but uh, they're not welcome at the festival, so uh, don't turn up. Yeah, it's, it's all about doing it right, though, isn't it? So as long as you're doing it right and doing it justice, then there isn't a problem. Because I I can remember when um, I did a little bit of Northern Ireland uh, doing 1970s, and uh, we set up the display. Everything was done properly. A uh, few of the lads were veterans from um, the conflict, from the 70s. Um, and, uh, like, we put everything together. It was done right. It was done properly. And we made the debut at um, War and Peace, it was. I can't remember what year it was now because time flies. But we were there. We set it all up. 
and the amount of Northern Ireland veterans that came past, not necessarily the 70s ones, 80s, 90s, come past and went, yeah, it's it's about time our story was being told. Um, and that and there was never there was no negative comments whatsoever, especially from the North. Well, you had a couple come up going, Oh, why are you doing this? But then when you actually got to the bare bones of it, none of them had been in no one none of them were in Northern Ireland. So all the positivity came from the Northern Ireland veterans, which is good because that means we were doing it right. And that's what that's and that's what this um job's all about is doing it right, doing it justice. Because if you're not, there's no point doing it at all. It's all about relatability as well. You know, for example, you know, most events we know are wartime and they harp on, oh, let's go back to the 40s and all this malarkey. They, it's like history stops in 1945 and anything beyond that is not worth remembering or, you know, or not seeing the connectivity in the current forces. You know, the global war on terrorism it went on for 20 years. The kit changed so much. and It's actually been quite hard me and my chaps have been putting to kind of put together a display covering the 20 years of kit. If you think about it, World War II went on for what, six years, five, six years. The kit changed, but not drastically. You know, the kit at the beginning towards the kit at the end, you could, you know, Tommy from the BEF would be recognizable to a, to a guy who's a, a 1945 going into a, going to Germany. But whereas you look at the kit from going from the fur going into uh, Afghan in 2001, to the to the withdrawal from Kabul in 2019, it's a total change. It's 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 an unbelievable change of kit and practice and and basically, unfortunately, the war uh, caused kit development be at such a fast rate. It's it's uncompendable, really. Yeah, it is. It's um, it did change at quite a quite an alarming rate. Like you said, if you look at a British soldier in 1914 to 1918 or 1939 to 45. You could, you know, unless you really know what you're looking at, you know, it. And there's a couple of like, massive differences, but yeah, like you say, it's unless you knew, you know. Um, but yeah, when it comes to the global war on terror, it's like it does literally turns itself on its head by the end. And it's just com- almost completely unrecognisable. And you can see all that at the Living History UK Festival, the twenty second, twenty third of. April 2023. So, Danny, as it's your first official debut, give us a close down, mate. Well, thank you all for listening. It's been a fantastic, we have a fantastic welcome to welcome me to the presenting on the channel. And I hope to further educate and divulge to your ears as much knowledge as I can to and, and push this passion forward. So I hope to see you all at the festival uh, as highlighted before the dates. Get your tickets beforehand so you can confirm and secure your place. But remember, most of all, keep history alive. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, then why not send us a PayPal donation? All donations help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive.